0: What was your worst MMA and non-MMA related injuries?
1: My worst MMA injury was probably my shoulder. My worst non-related MMA injury was when I was doing power cleans and I ripped my testicle in half and ended up losing my left nut.
0: What? What is happening, everyone? Chatting Pony with Paddy the Body. another episode. And today I've got a living legend himself. Forrest Griffin, former UFC light heavyweight champion, Ultimate Fighter 1 winner, UFC Hall of Famer, um, what have I missed anything out Forrest?
1: <laughs> no man, that sounds great, what's happening man, how you doing?
0: I'm great, thanks for asking, I hope you're well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's evening over there, so good evening to you, it's morning for us over
0: here. Yeah, it's 8am for you, so it's just just past 4pm for us, I'm actually going to watch the pool tonight, uh, my football team are playing, but. Hopefully we okay. can win. Yeah, hopefully you can win. But I always like to go back to the start with my guests and like ask them how they got into what they're doing. And obviously, when you first started MMA, it was completely different to what it is at now. So how did you get into the sport?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, You know, I literally just kind of saw it on TV and I thought, that looks fun. I'll bet I could do that. And So I found some guys that were doing that and I went and I got my ass kicked. And I've, I've been kind of like, uh, I've never wrestled and I just joined the club wrestling team in college. And we just like started Roman Greco wrestling. And then I did like a tough man contest, you know, with the big gloves where you just punch each other and get exhausted. Because I was like, I, I know how to fight. I'm pretty good at fighting. You know, I got in a lot of fights playing basketball growing up. And uh turned out I did not know how to fight against people that did know how to fight. So I was like, I had to learn this shit.
0: So you was fighting from a young age or oh, was your winning fights though before you got into MMA but you winning like fights on the street you
1: know what um yeah street I was uh, I, you know what I was I was better than uh 500 I wasn't great but here's here's the thing I had um I would lose fights like I remember I got in a fight when I was maybe 16 with a grown man playing basketball like out on the street court and I mean he he smashed me up pretty good. He was like a bricklayer and he hit like a man that moves bricks all day. <laughs> and he was like thirty. I'm like sixteen or something, you know? And uh, you know, I kept fouling him and he he just took it bang bang. But after that, like my eye kinda swelled up, but we we just went and kept playing. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even like I still I still stayed guarding him. And I still kept playing hard defense, <laughs> you know? It's like, I didn't even change anything. He beat me up to teach me a lesson. I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna learn the lesson. <laughs> and so I just figured out like early on that like I could, like I just didn't care as much as other people did. Like other people get like nervous or mad or hurt and I will just be like, ah, oh, whatever. Um, I, I didn't even, this before YouTube and shit. I didn't know you could get knocked out and really hurt fighting. So I was like, dumb. I was too naive to know any better.
0: Yeah, you fought at 205 though, so you must have been like a big, big gladder. at sixteen. <laughs> People would have thought you was about twenty something.
1: Yeah, well I was uh I remember when I was fourteen, freshman year like for American football, I was 6'1", 185. And like by I mean, I was bigger than I am now by tenth or eleventh grade. Yeah. So I was I was like full grown by eleventh grade.
0: See, I feel like I've only just got fully grown about two years ago. I was a late bloomer. I was the opposite.
1: Well, that's that's a better way to be, though, for your athletic career as far as longevity. And the way you're doing it, it's a better way to be. You know, you're coming into yourself physically later in your life. Yeah, it's a better way to do it.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, obviously, I have to speak to you about the Ultimate Fighter, the first ever winner, and that was yes. like the show what propelled the UFC to bigger heights. Like, what what was it like being in that's, that first that's season?
1: What I keep telling people keep telling everybody to listen it was the show it was the ultimate fighter it was the Trojan horse reality television save the UFC I was
0: there man it was crazy But that house must have been no. that house, house must have been funny though some days because again because it was the first season the amount of talent what was on there you know as you know yourself Stefan yeah. Bonner then like Diego Sanchez Josh Kostya Chris Lee and Kenny Florian there was some names on that season.
1: Yeah, because they had a lot, of, they had a lot of talent to pick from, but nobody really knew what they were doing. You know, it wasn't like a hundred percent defined. And uh, so the the craziest thing I remember that always stuck out is uh, the producers are talking, and we can kind of hear them as we're practicing, and they're talking about like this show might never see the light of day. And I didn't hundred percent know what they meant, but I was like, wait, what? We're shooting this for nothing. Um, and and like you know the UFC was actually paid 10 million bucks to buy all the airtime like they didn't have any sponsors anything they just bought the airtime it was that kind of like their last stab at it so you can actually if you have enough money you can buy airtime and put whatever you want on TV and that's what the UFC did
0: it's a good job most people don't know that though to be honest they could put anything on the television couldn't they <laughs>
1: Yeah. It was, I mean, if you got enough money, you can do a lot of things. I think most people know that.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously, I, I was just always like, always watch little clips back from um, the Ultimate Fighters and like some of the stuff that happened in the house, it always makes me laugh. But in that first season, lad, when Chris Lieben went wild, what was it like being in the house when that happened?
1: Oh, it was great. So he, <laughs> he was looking for check, and then he kicks the door open and, like, literally, like, I, I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, because that's my thing, apparently. And, um, like, pieces of the door, like, went in my bed. And then I was, like, oh, my God. I was, like, really freaked out. And then you can hear me say it on TV. I was, like, dude, none of these doors have locks. Because they, they took all the locks off the doors to make it a better show or whatever. So you couldn't even, like, you couldn't even lock. The bathrooms might have had locks. But none of the other doors had locks on them. So I was, like, dude, you could have just opened the door. <laughs>
0: And he smashed the front door as well, didn't he? Punched his he punched his way through the oh, door. yeah,
1: he punched through the glass. Yeah, damaged his hand. It was all messed up, yeah. He shouldn't have been... Like, today, they wouldn't have let him fight yeah. with a busted hand like that.
0: It's completely different now, though, as you know. But, obviously, the finale for both of them, Diego Sanchez just mauled Kenny Florian, didn't he? And then, yep. obviously, it was you and Stefan. And that fight is in the actual UFC Hall of Fame, isn't it? It's one of the greatest fights of all time.
1: Yep, yeah, that's what I keep telling people. (laughs) Let's tell them all now, Forrest. Let let them all know now. Here's the deal, man. You know, we were were at the right place at the right time, and people were tuning in, and, like, more people kept, like, tuning in. And we were lucky it went three rounds, you know, because, like, kind of the momentum built, and more people were following it. And the coolest story is, I don't know how many people know this, but um, they actually signed the deal to do the next season of The Ultimate Fighter in the parking lot like where the you know production trucks are so
0: yeah yeah that's cool that shows it was an instant success he knew straight away we need another season of this because it'll get higher ratings oh we are. who's this
1: oh this is uh bronson yes
0: bronson what's happening just just you just needed to know yeah
1: he's
0: a belter I've got a dog. My dog's, I couldn't really, I can't really just pick my dog up like that anymore. He's too heavy. He's about 45 kilo. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jeez. Yeah,
1: that's nice. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's, he's, he's a beast. Like, when he jumps on you, you know about it. So obviously from that, that win on the Hudson Fighter, how did that change your life? Did it change it immediately? Or was it a couple of years down the line?
1: Okay. No, it, it changed it immediately. Like, you were on TV. It was crazy. All of a sudden, like, uh, people knew you. Um, you know, it it was pretty crazy. Because uh, we were on this, the commercial for the next season, like, parts of that fight. And, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, the one thing I remember is being like, oh, okay. Now I got myself into it now. I have. I don't have any excuses. Like, I don't have to have a job. Like, I'm a professional fighter now. Like, I You know, before I'd always had a job or been in school, like I'd never just been able to devote myself from for, to fighting. But after that show, I knew I was like, all right, I have, you know, this is what I do now. I don't have to work a door at a bar. I don't have to do this or that, you know. And uh, yeah, so like I tell everybody, man, quit your job, drop out of school and follow your dream. It could work out for you. It worked out for me.
0: That's it. Look, I'm lucky enough to say that I, ne- I never had a job. know what I mean? I went to... Not college. I went to um, sixth form, we call it, where oh. you get your A levels to then go to university to college. But I dropped out of that to yeah. pursue MMA, and as they say, the rest is history. I, I've never, I've never had a job as like that's a so good, yeah. yeah, I've never had a job as like a bricklayer or anything. I've always just went to gym every morning and train my ass off. Yeah, but I mean that
1: that's awesome, you know. But something like my generation does have that's good for us is we really like we had to have those shitty jobs you know like I roofed houses uh, I framed houses (laughs) I was a cop I you know I did like air conditioning I did like basically whatever whatever I could get that I could do around training you know so like the jobs you can do are kind of limited right if you're going to spend like four hours and we used to train in the evening then because that's the only time we could get enough bodies together yeah so yeah
0: And I'm lucky the sport now it's evolved so much where I was in the gym this morning and there was about 18 people on the mat sparring for MMA rounds.
1: Nice. That's awesome, yeah. And then it's cool. You get to do it, you know, that your day revolves around training now, right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, a lot of us in the older days, our day would kind of revolve around like our job or our life and then we would fit training in so it's important you know that's the growth of the sport that's the professionalization of mma you know it's a viable way to make a living and, and pursue a career
0: yeah well as you say a career you had a, a a long and successful ufc career is there any of your fights that stand out as like more memorable or ones that you thought you had a great performance yeah,
1: i mean for me, like the, the turning point was the Shogun fight, the one I won, not the one I lost. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know, that was the one that got me the shot at the belt and it got me, you know, uh, I got to be a coach and the ultimate fighter, which I, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing in the beginning, but I ended up loving it. And a lot of the guys I coached like stayed out in Vegas and kept working with my team. You know, I knew I didn't like I wasn't the best coach, but I've always been good at structuring a practice and putting together a team, right? So we really, like, we had all the advantages every time I coached the Ultimate Fighter because it was in Vegas. And I just, like, would come down the street and I would bring my coaches in and be like, this is what we do, you know? So it was super easy.
0: Yeah, what was that like, obviously? because You, know, cause
1: you... Uh, the other guy's quitting, he's trying to fly his coaches back and forth from California and it's just <laughs> like a mess.
0: Yeah, obviously you was on the first season of the Ultimate Fighter and then your coach, it, it was a season seven. You coached season seven. Yeah, yeah, season seven. So what was the, did you notice a big difference in like how the show would come on in a couple of years?
1: So season seven, there was a surprise and uh, they didn't tell them until uh, the first day. It was the first season you fought to get in the house. And that was man, that was like a game changer. That was thirty-two dudes showed up, and everybody knew something was rotten in Denmark. People were like, "Uh-oh, what's going on here?" <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then you got to fight to get in the house, and it was it was uh, it was crazy. And there's actually a lot of pretty good fighters that uh, made it to the UFC later, but they lost in that lit- initial fight-in. And I've always loved that that fighting kind of mentality, you know? Like, fight to get on the show and then fight your way through it. It was, it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it was. I think they probably used that because there was a few people in the first few seasons, wasn't there, that didn't really look like fighters. Like I remember the one in the first season where Chris Lieben uh, had a piss on his bed, you know what I mean? Him, like He uh, yeah. he wasn't a fighter, you know what I mean? And, like, if they would have had that no, fighting... it was like... I- yeah, what was his name? Wayne yeah, Weems. Like... What's that? Was, it, was his name Wayne Weems? Was that his name?
1: No. No, was, he uh, must have
0: been on a different season. I yeah, I forgot. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, he got, he got <laughs> so, a little slightly I bullied.
1: Watch, I haven't watched the actual show, um, like, I don't know, ever. I just watched the training to see if there's anything I can learn from the way they train and the fights. I don't watch any of the stuff in the house. I just fast forward through it. See, I, never, I have no idea what's happened other than the trade and the fights. I don't care.
0: Have you never watched watch your
1: season back? Uh, yeah, I think I did one. No, I, oh, I watched it when it was on live because it was airing like, later. Yeah. So I watched it. Yeah, I watched it then.
0: Yeah, nice. I think it'd be funny watching yourself back every week in a house, like especially with another another gang of pots, as we'd say. Because back then, that season one, it was a gang of psychopaths.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and then I was currently living with a gang of psychopaths. We had a <laughs> three-bedroom uh, apartment that five dudes lived in, and I lived on a mattress like in the corner of the living room with like a uh, like a, a tent bed, you know? Because there were, you know, we were all broke fighters. we were trying to be fighters, so we were all just, you know, living in this crummy, uh, crummy Athens, Georgia apartment. But you know, you're looking back like that. That was the best.
0: Yeah, back then, I always say, it, like, back before me and along before my time, back then, everyone was a real fighter. No one got in it for Instagram and social media purposes and then even money. People got in it cause, into it because they loved well, fighting and yeah. they wanted to be the best.
1: People still got into it because they thought it was making a cool <laughs> or something. I mean, people still got into it for the wrong reasons. But, you know, look, man, I got uh, 200 bucks to fight Dan Severin in 2001, you know, so... <laughs> And the, the first four fights I did, only the winner got paid, which I kind of liked. There was no nothing. Like, if you won, you got paid. If you didn't, you got nothing.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you won all four of them fights. I did. Yeah, I did. there you go. That's all that matters. You won all of them fights. So how, how old was you then when you fought Dan Seven in 2001?
1: 21.
0: And 22. Surely he was in his mid-thirties.
1: <laughs> oh, he was—he was in his early forties. <laughs> and uh, you know, he—he he was a stud, though, man. Like you just go around and fight the town badass for five grand everywhere. You know, yeah. He's, he's got like a hundred fights, man.
0: Yeah, the he's he's still a, like
1: doing pretty good. I saw. I just talked to him not too long ago. He's, you know. Yeah, he's like a legend. Miles on his body, man. He's actually doing amazing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> absolute right. legend though but um, as you talked, spoke on before beating Shogun whoever, I think that was that was the fight where I the first ever fight I saw of yours obviously after the Ultimate Fighter because everyone seen that Ultimate Fighter finale but I think that was the first fight I saw of yours and it actually takes me back to the game because on the game that was the the demo yes. that was the demo you were Shogun and the poster's there behind you <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep that's it and that's the cut it's uh, like uh, the cut made it to the thing and they were like ah, should we put this blood on the video game thing will people buy it you know that that was a long time ago right now it's like you got zombie games galore yeah. they were like do, do we market the UFC with blood or no blood and it was funny it was like that huh? they weren't blood I think they made the right choice
0: yeah they did like the UFC games are, uh, are always interesting yeah. Love, love a little scrap on them, but nowadays people are just too good on it. Like I can't compete.
1: No man, it's ridiculous. I, I was in a, a tournament, and uh, <laughs> I, I just held a dummy remote, <laughs> and I had somebody playing the actual game with the real remote like behind me.
0: That's and even brilliant. I didn't
1: win, and I still got beat. Yes, that, that's where you do it.
0: That's a brilliant idea. I'm going to use I'll that one like, in future.
1: Yeah, don't, don't, don't tell anybody that, but definitely do it. Just get somebody somewhere stationed that's really good with, like, you know, the real remote. And then you just, like, you know, if you have a general idea of where the buttons are, you can do it, you know? Yeah,
0: I, I'm, I'm, it's so hard, that UFC game now. To I'm, I'm glad I'm good at it in real life because I'm not good on it on the game. Definitely not.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, I think uh, one is probably more important than the other.
0: Yeah. Although
1: uh, I have noticed people that are really good at video games tend to be good at jujitsu.
0: Yeah, my coach is really good on video games. To be honest, <laughs> he loves Halo. There
1: you go. It's just like a weird, like sort of mind they can get into. I think I'm more like you. I just like to go. Let's just go. Yeah. What are shame. you doing? That? I don't know. Let's spar. What are you going to do? I don't know. Let's let's wrestle spar. What are you doing? Let's punch spar. I don't know. Let's just let's just do it. Let's go.
0: Nothing better than punching yeah. each other in the face. There's not nothing better.
1: I mean, if you never tried it, it's actually pretty fun. It is. I, and to b- be quite honest, um, that's kind of one of the things I miss the most is just getting to spar a little bit. I don't do it at all anymore. Um, it's funny. I just shut it down over COVID, and then uh, <laughs> I just never went back. <laughs> <to life>. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't do it divorce. You like that? Uh, I can't. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, that is my – I'll be honest. That's my favorite part of training sparring so obviously that was your favorite part of the scene also
1: it should be because well that makes sense because you like fighting right so it's it's like that's the closest you get to get to a fight and that's the closest you get to like that feeling you know we used to do a thing where we were pro boxing we'd spar with pro boxers uh, in atlanta right so it'd be like a two hour drive and you're driving to fight these guys at their gym and you're like nervous which was always one of the things for for whatever reason i always kind of liked that you know I would get to the gym and be like, oh man, I gotta, hold on, I gotta shit myself real quick, hold on, I'm I'm there, you know. But then you go into a fight and you're like, I've done this before, and this is, I do this every Saturday, you know, it's not a big deal.
0: Yeah, you're right there. But obviously the training back then was a lot different than now. So, like, what was like the hardest aspect of training back then? Because you're you're like me, my favorite part is sparring, but. The developments in training standards now, as you know, with the Performance Institute and stuff like that, yeah. like well, training's I'm just to learn evolved more and
1: more about it every day. Yeah. So I was really blessed that I got with uh, Randy Couture kind of early-ish in my career in Vegas. Um, one of the reasons I moved out here is he actually asked me to help him like train, like with his camp, you know. And so I was like, oh wow, okay. So you know, I moved out here. He opened a gym. And he was a, you know, he was kind of ahead of his time. He had a physical therapy, he had a nutrition bar, but it, it closed down. <laughs> you know, he couldn't sustain it. He had like an S and C area, he had a real good strength coach, and so he was kind of trying to do everything. And he'd have us doing these plyos, and and then, um, you know, he he, you know, he was like in his forties by that time, so he wouldn't, he would like go really hard and then he would pull back you know he kind of knew when to to pull back for his own body and then i think that some of us didn't learn that lesson about when to when to go and when to pull back because it's kind of hard to know sometimes you're just like am i just being a bitch you know am i just being a wimp today like should i just get on the mat and shut up and start going or what you know so yeah
0: i know what you mean there though sometimes my muscles are sore and i'm thinking oh i've got to get on the mat today and then literally you have a little warm up and you start doing a little roll and you think, oh, I feel good now.
1: So that is the key. That's what I would always do. I'd always be like, all right, you're going to do the warm up and a few drills and you take it from there. If you, feel, if you still don't feel like going, shut it down, maybe do some running, do whatever, you know, maybe a light S&C workout. But yeah, make it through the drills, make it through the warm up and then reevaluate and say, all right, yeah. I'll get one in today. Because if yeah. you put it off, then you got to change the whole weekly schedule and that's just a pain in the ass.
0: <laughs> that's me out of camp sometimes. Oh, I don't have to do this session and the next day I'll do three sessions to make up for that. And then I'm sure the next day I'm like, oh, why did I yeah. do that? <laughs> and then you, yeah, yeah.
1: Fortunately, it doesn't quite work like that, right?
0: Uh, yeah, fortunately. But uh, we touched on it before. You was the 205 pound um, world champion and... You beat Rampage Wasn't Jackson for them. But- <laughs> yeah, he was the UFC light heavyweight champion, love. And at the time that yeah. was the that was the Shark Tank division of the UFC. You know what I mean? that had all the main fighters in, but yeah, all the all the superstars anyway. The way I, I I personally think lightweight is in the UFC now. Back then it was light heavyweight. That was what all the, the best fighters were at. And it, it goes yeah.
1: through cycles for sure. And then, I mean, lightweight, you definitely, I mean, you think about the guys and gals, you know, it's like from Oliver down, yeah, that's probably the deepest weight class is 155. And that's that's the most, uh, I think that that's the largest number of fighters in the UFC. And if you think about just the size of the average human male, an in-shape average human male falls into that 165, 170-pound weight, hence 155-pound weight class. So... That's why, you know, if you think about the bell curve of the size of people, there's going to be less heavyweights. There's going to be less 125ers, but kind of the peak is 155 and 170. And those are the two largest weight classes in the UFC. Just, I mean, and that's why they're the most competitive. Just the- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSC. Most athletes trying to do it.
0: Yeah, I think personally in the UK, not like Americans are slightly bigger, I think. In the UK most like most of our fighters are like one thirty five ers 145 fivers, stuff like that. Like you only get the odd fighter what's above like well, we one seventy from the UK. In our food. We got the real good chemicals in our food over <laughs> Help you grow strong. Do, I do tend to be a, I guess. <laughs> uh, they make you big and
1: strong where they give you cancer, but either way it's worth it.
0: Uh, yeah I always think Americans are so much bigger when i I have a, a Spanish partner come over chasing and he fights at welterweight and he's just he's just built different he's been wrestling since he was like six and he's just like that
1: yeah well those those people that make it through wrestling like that they are different yeah and, and I've even noticed like um they'll tend to like hold that for a while even after they quit training just because they grew up doing it I guess you know
0: yeah, when you say wrestling to someone in the UK, they think of WWE. They don't know what Greco-Roman oh, is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that's yeah, that's that's funny. Um That's kind of how Georgia was too. Like I didn't have a high school wrestling team. Um but I am now on the wall of fame for my high school wrestling team. Yes. But we didn't, we didn't have a team <laughs> we didn't have a team when I was <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I just was like, saw some dudes. Like, I was like, I'll join the club team. It's like 45 bucks a month. I got, I, I got that.
0: Yeah, the fi- the yeah, first, first
1: fight. It was like subsidized by the university.
0: <laughs> the first fight where I saw what got me into MMA was Diego Sanchez and Clay Reader It was just yeah, like, awesome yeah, fight. a scrap just like yours and Stephen Bonnet. And then I was just like, at, oh, I need to fight.
1: At the Palms, I had the, um, I had the good fortune to be there, right? So the palms of the old one There's only about 2,200 seats and they're right on top of each other. So there was a great energy in there. I mean, it was it was awesome. That fight went... And I had actually just had shoulder surgery and Clay Guida comes up after the fight and like shakes me and I'm like, oh my God, stop! stop. <laughs> uh.
0: I've met Clay at one of the UFCs recently. He's a cool dude and he's, a, he's another legend in the game. Been fighting for years.
1: Yeah, I mean... He's, he's such a stud he's just been doing it forever too he's one of those guys like he's made a different stuff
0: yeah me me and Clay need a burping contest that's what we need I can reckon I, okay. I reckon I give him a good go I do well
1: I tell you next time you're in Vegas and you want to hit some all you can eat sushi I'm, I'm your man oh
0: not sushi Forrest not sushi no no I'm not a sushi Hater kind it, of guy no I, I, oh we yeah, are he is yes Bronson <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is when you know you've probably gone too far.
0: Yeah, oh, he's got a belt of little play area there, hasn't he? he, he
1: his, the wall is, is his base. Lady.
0: Yeah, he's nice That's, there. That's a boss little playground for him.
1: Yeah, he, he's doing all right for himself.
0: Uh. <laughs> I had Tito Ortiz on my podcast recently, so obviously I've got to ask you about him as an opponent because you fought him more than once. <laughs>
1: Man, you know, Tito's just a good example of you can't be friends with everybody, you know. Some people like personalities just weren't meant to mesh. Um, you know, I'll say this. Uh, he's another one. Like, he's a legend. He started, you know, UFC 2001. And, um, you know, he's still fighting. That's crazy, you know. And I, I know he's, he's been banged up for years, but he still finds a way to get it done, you know. So all the things you can say about him, like he's he's committed to the game, it's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, it is. He has got he's had a long career, as you say. He's had longevity, but yeah, just because you fought him more than once, and I only spoke to him about two weeks ago, so I thought to thought to about yeah. it. But is that so? Yeah, is that yeah. is that like your most memorable feud, or have you had like a bigger one?
1: No, that that's probably it. Yeah, but even if that, you think about, it, he's had feuds with me and Chuck Liddell was like a famous feud that yeah. I kind of came in on. Uh, which
0: was funny. His cats yeah. getting crazy out here. I know, I can, I can, I can see it. Keep turning around to see him. Is he alright? What's he doing?
1: <laughs> no, he's he just trying to get out.
0: Does he just want some attention? Way. Is that what it is? He's, he's after forward, some attention.
1: Forward. He's like, You're not going to play with me? am Yeah. Here. <laughs> so, all right,
0: bud. Sorry. Right. After retirement, obviously, now as your top says, you're, you're repping the Performance well. Institute. You're. Um, you now have a role in the UFC, so you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you think about it, and you know, we, I know you got a performance coach. We would love to talk to him. So we, we, kind of um, the UFC created the Performance Institute, really to replicate what every other professional sports has. You know, sport has. They have um, a strength conditioning coach, a, a dietitian, uh, a sports psychologist. Um, They have basically everything to support your MMA training, right? So if your MMA training is here, you got to have all those other services, right? Yeah. Sometimes you need PT. Sometimes you need chiropractic. Sometimes you need an athletic trainer just to tape your ankle up. You need all, all these kind of discrete, like, different things. And the most important thing and the thing that the PI does the best is put them together, right? So how does your... S&C work with this, what time, sh- what time should you be doing PT? Should you be doing it before you training, after your training? Um, what should you be eating when? Like for your hard sparring day, should you be eating X, Y, you know, like what are, what are the, you know, what are the fuel sources you're tapping into? And then if you think you, then you move past that you say, well, how can you recover? What, what, tools and modalities do you have for recovery so that you can get the most out of your next training session. So the sport of MMA is a little different than every other sport because there's almost three kind of distinct components you have to train, right? So there's grappling, there's grappling, standing, so wrestling, more freestyle wrestling, grappling on the ground, also just wrestling, and then striking, so at distance. So if you look at clinch, distance, ground, Those are skill sets you have to train a little bit every day, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and and you have to kind of spar hard with wrestling, like just your wrestling, and then you have to put them together as well, right? So kind of figuring that out is hard enough. And then to try to figure out, well, when's the best time to do S&C or what time of day should I work out if I'm fighting at you know, ten at night. What's the best way to get my body adjusted? How do I adjust the time zones? How to adjust the altitude? So, all those kind of things that that we asked ourselves, you know, that that we were trying to figure out. Well, that's that's what the Performance Institute does. Now, the Performance Institute's more of like a model, right? It's more of like a, a theoretical framework than a place, right? So we have one in Vegas, obviously, one in Shanghai, and we'll have one in Mexico City, and then hopefully we'll have you know, several more in the next five or so years around. You get one in Europe. Um, but the, the idea is really more the the kind of knowledge that's going to be gained from actual scientists and, and high-level researchers studying the best way to train for MMA. What actually happens to the body when you train grappling? And what happens to the body when you fight, right? And what are the best ways to prepare and recover from that? So, I mean, it's kind of a lot, but, but the general... St- what I've been blathering on about is how the hell do you put it all together? You have a lot of different things you have to do. How do you put them together? And that's that's what we're doing here. And, you know, I, I think about it. We've been open five and a half years. Uh, I'm so much smarter than I was five and a half years ago. I feel like an idiot. Only now do I realize how stupid I am. <laughs> or just now, you know, just, just how little I know, right? Like, there's there's still more to know. There's still more to understand about human physiology. There's still... More to understand about how skill acquisition works, right? Like, how long should you be drilling a skill before it's wired in? How much sparring do you need, right? So, spine super important, right? Because that's your real-time decision making. That is going to bring out your cre- creativity and your your you know, like your your coupling response. So, if you throw a jab, I'm going to throw a look, whatever. Your your if you think about the way you counter, right? You have to drill those things and ingrain them in a high stress high-speed, kind of high-stakes scenario to some extent. But how often do you need to do that? Because there's a lot of risks that come with sparring, but, you know, the benefits and then how much should you do it? Like like when you spar, how how often do you spar? How many rounds? And then how how far apart do you space those days out? And then keep asking questions. (laughs) Do you change that for, like, what point do you change that? 12 weeks out from a fight, out of camp? or right like in the last six to eight weeks
0: before the fight Uh, well generally I don't spar that often out of camp you know what I mean I love sparring but I have to get told not to so we generally spar every Tuesday and Thursday on a Tuesday we'll spar with boxing gloves on and on a Thursday we'll spar with the eight ounce gloves with the fingers sticking out the amateur gloves with head guards on I'm we'll do about four or five rounds both days. Well, saying that, no, we'll do three rounds in the cage on a Thursday and then four or five rounds on a Tuesday.
1: Okay, so, you know, that's another thing that I didn't do. I would spar eight rounds. Why? Why? <laughs> There's no eight-round fight. <laughs> so if you're sparring eight rounds, you know, you're actually diminishing your, your output, right? Um, it, it's, I think it's better to spar five, under five, and then go a little more, with a little more, like, awareness and the ability to defend yourself and react too right um so i mean that that sounds pretty good i don't know so on wednesday do you kind of take that day a little lighter
0: yeah i'll we'll do like a technical session on the wednesday morning two-hour technical session and then i'll do my snc in the afternoon
1: yeah, how, how taxing is that snc
0: um it's quite taxing like not on as I say, I'm, I agree with you there, Forrest. I realise how stupid I am when I sit down and speak to me SNC and coach and nutritionist. When I speak to Paul Reed, I realise like how how thick I am and he just blows me mind with the information, what he feeds me. And like At this minute, moment, I'm on a deload week and I know obviously when you was coming up, there was no such thing as a deload week, but yeah, <laughs> now the sport's like, advanced.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was in, I was in extreme Couture, and I heard a guy say "d-load week," and it's what I preach, it's what I want people to do. But in the back of my head, I was like, "Kids today."
0: Yeah. <laughs> kids today. <laughs> I was gonna say he definitely got called like, a Whoa. pussy. <laughs> I
1: was like a d-load week, but no, he didn't. People were just like, oh, "Okay, all right, well, you know, do, just do your two rounds and then, you know, do some technical drilling, right?" So, yeah. No, I mean that. That sounds that sounds pretty reasonable. And you know, if you get, you got good SNCs around you, there's there's ways to potentiate yourself or not to blow yourself out for that sparring, right? So you can still work some maximal qualities without deteriorating your sparring with your SNC work.
0: Yeah, when I was a lot younger, I think I had done a bit of damage to my body because I was cutting extreme amounts of weight when I was like nineteen, twenty, twenty-one to make featherweight. I was cutting like. 17 16 yeah, yeah. 17 18 19 pound overnight and it was just draining yeah. my body and in the end we done a dexa scan and it just said i i should not be fighting at 145 and that was when we made the decision yeah, to your, move up
1: your lean mass was more than yeah your lean body mass was more yeah and that's one of the tools we use it really for the weight class fit and that's the exact right thing you're like oh i have more than 140 like if I have no water in me, I still have more than 145 pounds of lean tissue. But what uh, what age was your first pro fight? Seventeen. Seventeen. That is awesome. That is awesome. I, you know, the the only thing that I kind of worry about is guys that age cutting weight. Yeah. You know, I I I don't know like. I have a friend who wrestled his whole life, and he's like the smallest guy in his family. And he attributes it to cutting weight. Like <laughs> you know, he's like cutting weight when he's like fourteen. I'm like, man, when I was fourteen, I was trying to play American football. I was eating like everything I could. You know, I would like eat till I had got uncomfortable and had to lay down every night. I would just try to get bigger, you know.
0: Well, Louis, so, yeah, you said you was 185, but what was it, 16 or 14 or 16? 14, yeah, 14 uh, Well, 14, I was, 14. when I first started doing jiu-jitsu, uh, 15, I was like 52 kilo. So, so
1: like
0: yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how that's how big I was when I first started jiu-jitsu. The first couple of tournaments I did were under 55 kilo. Oh, <laughs> so, man. under 120.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, hey man, that's the other great thing about MMA. It's a weight class sport, you know. Sorry, but you can never be in the NFL. You can never be in the NBA. You know, probably never be in the majors. But uh you know, weight class sport, it, it kind of makes everybody it gives everybody kind of a chance to compete.
0: Yeah. Well, let's see. Just before to move on to the segment where I ask questions, people have sent me for you. I have to touch on something a teacher said to me when I was younger. Where you've just said that. Cause when I first started doing MMA, I was still in school. I was like, two second to last year in school. I was fifteen, and I got I got caught in school selling chocolate and drinks. In a, in our schools, you're not allowed to go out, so yeah. I was no, no, no. being a little entrepreneur, making some money. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I, I said to the te- I got caught. The teacher said, "What are you doing this for, Patsy?" And I said, oh, me." Me, I'm selling to, to pay for me gym membership, miss. And she went, Jim, what, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I'm doing MMA. You'll know what is cage fighting. And she went, oh, no, stop stop doing that, Patrick. You're, you're too small for that. Focus on your academic work. You're too small for that. You won't get nowhere with it. I was just like, you're meant to be my teacher. <laughs>
1: that's, that's awesome, though. You know, you could have taken that the other way and been, like, depressed. But instead, he, it motivated you.
0: Oh yeah, it drove me on. It I well, I'm yeah, gonna prove you it's wrong.
1: Like to the poor woman. I know. that's what I mean. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, I mean that that's your personality, and that's that's what makes you a good competitor and fighter, right? Like you wanna you wanna engage with that, and you know, prove those people wrong.
0: That's it. But that's for me.
1: I never talk any smack to any of my <laughs> opponents because I don't want to motivate them. Yeah, I just was like, well, I'm just gonna try my best. That guy's so tough, you know. But then. <laughs> When you show up Wednesday and you meet each other for the first time, then I would kind of go hard because it's too late for you to train anyway. <laughs> so then I would just be like real straight up, and be like, yeah. I'm gonna try and hurt you real bad. It's gonna be fun, you know. So that, yeah, that was always my strategy.
0: I can't help but smile at my opponents when we do the face off. I just I can't help it. You know what I mean, I just smile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it comes yeah I mean like you're going to you know, fight anyway calm down, yeah you're going to fight anyway so you don't yeah, need we'll, to start pushing we'll each do, other we'll
1: do it for real in a couple
0: of days yeah you know, you're not going to start fighting now I know you're not because we won't get paid in a few days so let's just smile <laughs> smile and wave <laughs> anyway I have a little segment at the end so I'll let people know that you were coming on the podcast and I've been asked um, a few a few questions for you so I've got a few interesting ones here um Andrew Gosh has asked, Hey Forrest, what was your worst MMA and non-MMA related injuries?
1: Ooh, man. Uh, My worst MMA injury was probably my shoulder. My worst non-related MMA injury was when I was doing power cleans and I ripped my testicle in half and ended up losing my left nut. What? Doing power cleans. Yeah, yeah.
0: We need to know, Forrest, before we move on, we have to know this story.
1: Yeah, no. I was do. I was 14, and I like I said, I was like I was big. So they had me working out with the juniors and seniors, and I was like trying to power clean my body weight, like 185 pounds, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. Like I was 14 years old, I didn't know what to tell like, dude, this is too much weight. This is crazy. <laughs> so I just started trying to lift it, and I just heard a rip, like somebody ripping off the sleeves of a t-shirt, and then I realized that that was my abdominal wall, and my body just kind of closes. And it felt like somebody dumped cold water on my crotch, and I didn't want to tell anybody because it's embarrassing when your testicles the size of softballs. And you're 14, you don't want to tell anybody, you know? You don't know what to do. And then finally, my mom made me go to the doctor because I couldn't like straighten, and uh, they ended up they ended up having to cut my testicle out because it just came unraveled. You know, the seminiferous tubules, whatever. It was just like a, it was just like a you know Van Gogh piece of art I feel bad for <laughs> laughing though. No. worst uh... <laughs> no I laugh I really funny. <laughs> and then in the high school I'd like show people oh I love you <laughs> kind of like that's pretty cool oh that's brilliant A weird
0: party trick yeah oh brilliant uh, oh yeah it is an interesting one from Bodhi can you ask him about the Lost sons and silver? apparently he got knocked out insane, and leading up to the fight would like to hear what the backstory was
1: Uh, I got knocked out in training leading up to the fight. (laughs) So that's true, yeah. It was uh, was funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got knocked out bad. Um, uh, It was... But... And I actually... So, you know, I get a lot of shit for that fight, obviously. But here's the deal. I got knocked out. And I was so knocked out. I don't remember any of this. But I let my wife take me to the hospital to to do, like, an MRI and stuff. I don't remember this. But, but, like, why would you do that? (laughs) And, uh... Yeah, I had like a gun course that morning at 7 a.m. And I was like, because I was like doing the shooting thing. And then uh, I was like, all right, so I just got to get a couple rounds in with my buddy, Bristol Morandi, You know, Bristol, like, he's a 185er, you know. He's never never hurt me. And he knocked me the fuck out that day. So I thought like, I felt like shit, but I'm going with my buddy. It's safe. And I just, you know, he threw the kick and the punch, you know, the same side right kick, the right punch, and they both landed flush. And I don't remember anything. And so, but yeah, I let my wife take me to the hospital. That was like a waste of a thousand bucks. It's like, this is America. We don't just go to the hospital here. I'm fine. I'll be fine tomorrow. So the whole time leading up to the fight, I wasn't sleeping. So this is like, you know, 13, 14 days before. Well, 14 days exactly before the fight, but I didn't, I couldn't sleep. And then, when I started like going hard, like drilling or doing mitts or something, I wouldn't spar anymore, obviously, but drilling or doing mitts or something, um, I would get nauseous. So, and even in the locker room warming up, I got a little bit nauseous. And then um, the second he hit me, I just like, I kind of like, yeah, I don't remember all of it. I just remember my corner yelling, kick. Like the first time he knocked me down, I was like, oh, yeah, I should kick. There's a dude over me. And then, um, you know, so I don't really remember any of that it was kind of like bits and pieces you know and then I remember um, for some reason I remember like doing a drug test afterwards like waiting in line (laughs) it was me Amir Sadala had gotten knocked out and Kenny Florey like waiting in line to to drug test and I'm like are they only piss tested losers today what's (laughs) going on here (laughs) and uh, apparently I was pretty bad because I actually wandered outside like, I just wandered outside the arena onto the streets. And, like, nobody, like, I think my wife ended up having to, like, bring me back in. Nobody knew, like, where I was, like, where to go. They, th- I think they thought I was trying to get out of a drug test, but I was just, like, disoriented.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I just like, wandering around in the streets.
0: You could tell, though, in that fight, there was definitely something up. Because, you know, the fight, you have took much bigger shots than that. Like, much bigger shots. Well, and,. You've kept coming forward. second
1: he hit me with the first one, you can tell that I'm not – I was actually fine until he hit me. (laughs) And then once he hits me with the first one, you know, this is something I'll tell you too, man. Your chin, if you get hurt in sparring, make sure you got, like, stop. Stop then. If you get hurt in sparring, you will lose your chin, man. It's Everybody does. You see a lot of boxers that get chinny too, but, you know, you can do the Andre Avlowski and fight forever. So i thought he lost his chin in 2006 or seven and he's still going you know but but yeah that is the key if you do get clipped man you just you can't spar you can't do it you got to take two three weeks a month off and it seems crazy like i gotta fight i never gonna spar well i mean you gotta that's again we talk about that risk reward you you can't be getting hurt in sparring like that like it's going to happen every now and again but you know if, if you're lining up for a fight, know the people you're sparring with six weeks out, eight weeks out, right? Like the people that you know, know what's up.
0: Yeah, they get and, trust.
1: And that's something I did later. Yeah, and that and that's what I did later in my career. Um, you know, it was usually you just show up and you spar with whoever's on the mats. And I was always the biggest light heavyweight, so I always sparred with heavyweights. <laughs> you know, I was like, ah. You're the biggest light heavyweight what you really are is the smallest heavyweight
0: <laughs> well this next one's not a question but I've got to I've got to read that out because it's brilliant and shows what a cool dude you are uh, from Connor Hughes a friend of mine tweeted Forrest years ago he responded by sending him an aut- autograph, posters and merch Forrest is a beauty for sure oh man yeah
1: brilliant that's awesome
0: that. that's awesome yeah Here's one. What was your biggest learning experience as a pro MMA fighter?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, good question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I, I just, I've learned so much. I can't quantify it or I've learned nothing. I don't know either way. <laughs> Maybe I haven't learned anything. Um, I don't know. What, that's a good question. Like, thus far in your career, and I know you're still at the beginning of it, but but what are, what are some of the lessons you've learned? Um, you know, like you, You've done very well for yourself. You've done some things right, for sure.
0: To be honest, I think it's listen to people. Because when I was younger, up until about two or three years ago, I didn't listen to anyone. It was my way or the highway. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm, I'm right. No, you're wrong. Up until about two or three years ago, I never used to listen to anyone's advice. I just say I'm right, you know what I mean? But a couple of years ago when I went yeah. to got a bit depressed, I started listening to other people and now I, I don't do much without my loved ones and my me, me gym teammates, my me fiance, my good friends. I don't do anything without consulting with them first. And my life's better for it, you know what I mean? Actually listening to other people and not thinking I'm I'm the smartest man on the planet.
1: Well, that's awesome. You, you need a, a core of people that you can depend on to have your best interests at heart, you know? Like, just people you know that will give you that honest feedback and say, this is a good idea or that's a bad idea. Or, Don't listen to that Forrest Griffin guy He's punching, <laughs> you know? You need people like that in your life.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm lucky that I've had people that are there from day one. And uh, I I'm got to worry about people just jumping on the ship now. You know what I mean? I've had people there from day dot. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, and you know, the other thing too is the people that jump off the, on the ship—they're—they're they're gonna jump off first chance they get. They're gonna yeah. jump off and be like, "Yeah, I told you, I told you." It was, it's just the nature of the beast, man. <laughs> so capitalize on those while f- you can.
0: Yeah, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. But for us, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, hope well. I, I'll definitely see you. I think I'm. On, I'm open to fight on the December tenth card. So I'll be in. I'll be in okay. Vegas. Yeah, I'll be getting there a little bit early to acclimatize, so I'll get in the uh, in the institute and see you nice and early. But is there anyone you'd like uh, to yeah. give a shout-out to or mention your social medias or anything like that? No, absolutely
1: no. not.
0: <laughs> you all should know yeah. where to find them, but, but legend. I'm too old. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you do, but uh, no, I'm too old for that nonsense. But you keep doing your thing, Pat. It was great to talk to you, man and uh, seriously best of luck and if you need anything man let us know man we're we're here to help guys like you so yeah
0: thank you very much i appreciate it and as i say i really appreciate you coming on you're a living legend and i can't wait to see you in person in the uh, in the performance institute thank you Forrest. There we go people another episode in the books see you next week